The wound is where the light shines through. That's what we talked about last week. Um, This idea that it's through our pain and our suffering, through our difficulties in life, that the gospel, that the light of Christ shines through the best. And I had a really cool opportunity this last week to hear from you, to hear where the light had 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 shone through your wounds, the wounds that you have in your life. Um, and that was, that was really cool to see that, that you guys could already pick out, man, this is where this is happening, or this is where this happened 20 years ago. And so there's one of those that I wanted to share this morning. I got to meet with uh, Nick and Jen Johnson this last weekend um, for them to share the story of the wound in their life that's going on right now. And a lot of you have heard, of, heard about it. A lot of you have probably even prayed about it. And so I just wanted to give a brief story about kind of what has happened in their life and the light that's shined through that. Um, so Nick and Jen Johnson, um, they're not here this morning, but they uh, have been going to our church for a couple years, and uh, they've been part of the youth group. They moved away to New York for uh, a little while for work, but they're, they are back here again. Um, but last April, April 15th, Jen got a call from her dad that something had happened to her mom, and they were at the hospital um, trying to get it figured out, and that he would call her back as soon as uh, he had more news. Um, a little while later, he, she got the phone call back. And they had um, discovered that um, she had, uh, if I'm saying it right, glioblastoma, which is stage four brain cancer. Um, and it's, it starts out at stage four. It's not, it's, you know, there's no progression or anything like that. It's just immediately. Within a few weeks, you can get, you know, a, a tumor the size of a golf ball and shortly after that die. And so her mom, who had had no symptoms, is fairly young, nothing wrong with her, all of a sudden had this life-threatening cancer. And so um, she, Jen rushed down to the hospital in Albany to, to, to be with her and to find out more of what was going on. And what they decided after she got down there that they were going to do surgery the next day to confirm that it was um, stage 4 brain cancer. And then if so, they were going to try to remove the tumor. And so um, just, and this is all happening so quickly. Within 24 hours, she's in the surgery having brain, brain surgery. And um, coming out of, or as many of you know, when someone's going into surgery, that the doctor always has to give you those kind of, this, these are the risks, this is what's going on. And so the risks of this were there was a 50% chance that she would never be able to communicate again. That this would, because of where the tumor was in the, speed, in the communication part of her brain, she might never be able to communicate again. She would, mentally, she would still be there, but you would have no idea because she couldn't communicate. And that also that uh, she would be paralyzed on the right side of her body. And so 50% chance of that happening. And even if things go great, she still probably only had about 14 months to live. This kind of cancer, um, even if you remove the tumor, it has these, it's described as these fingers that kind of grow out of it. There's no way to really know if you got rid of the cancer. So most people live um, about 14 months. And so it was kind of just this, all these risks going on, who knows what's going to happen. And so they brought her into surgery. And out of that, um, there was some good things. They they were able to get 100% of the tumor, but they found out then that the recovery was going to be slow, that it might be a couple of days before they even find out if, if she could talk again, if there was any speech, that this, this you know, recovery from brain cancer takes a long time. And so um, the recovery started, and, um, but that day, even that first day, there was some light that shone through. Um, a couple hours after the surgery, her, her son, Jen's brother, was, was sitting there reading scripture to his mom and uh, was reading the verse, wait patiently on the Lord. And he heard one word come out of his mom's mouth, wait. And it was just this, you know, the, the, she wasn't supposed to be able to talk for a couple days and already there was one word. 
Um, but even in the midst of that, um, it was still a slow recovery. She spent a couple days in the ICU and then got moved to this neuro floor. And then um, from there, she went to physical therapy. Um, and the physical therapy was, you know, it was a full-time thing that was supposed to take about 18 days. Um, and they said, you know, kind of depending on what happens, you might get released earlier or later than that. And she ended up making it out in eight days. She got released from the physical therapy to go home. But that's when the difficulties really started when she got home because um, she could hardly walk. She could hardly do anything for herself. And she was the kind of mom, the kind of wife that did everything. She took care of the family. She took care of the house. And now they were taking care of her. And so this, this recovery process was slow. She had aphasia. She could, the, the speech was, was still very difficult. It was hard for her to communicate to the family. And there was still even the, just that feeling that kind of Jen described to me, is this even really my mom? Um, her voice was hollow. It was like, is this really my mom that's there? But things continued um, to get better. Uh, uh, her, her dad um, decided he wasn't going to take any doctor's word for it. He was going to do all this research and so looked up all this stuff about what, what could they do um, to attack it from all angles, not just chemo and radiation to do that, but to do all these other things as well between nutrition and exercise and um, taking vitamins and supplements. So they started doing those things, and uh, the most important one, prayer. They were praying for her, that she would get better. Well, a month after she had brain surgery, they decided she didn't want to go to physical therapy anymore. She'd rather go back to the gym and start doing CrossFit again. She was an avid CrossFitter before, and so a month after brain surgery, was back to doing CrossFit again. And in the midst of this, they started to see opportunities that they had never had before. Because there was a couple different types of people asking these different questions. One of them was, what is going on with your family? Like, how are you all so positive? How are you okay right now in the midst of such a difficult situation? And Jen's brother's response to that was, we've got Jesus. That's, that's the only answer we have is that we've got Jesus. And uh, there was another type of person that, how can you still think God is good in this? After he let this happen to your mom, how can you still think God is good? And Jen's response to that was, how can I not? God is the only hope that I have right now in the midst of this. People were asking her mom, uh, Cheryl is her name, the, the woman who, who had brain cancer, um, that her friends, people that knew her, these people at the gym, started talking to her about it, and it, all of a sudden it opened up opportunities to share Christ with all these people that would have never been there before all these opportunities that came up because of the wound in her life. And as things went on, she kept getting better and better. Two months after, they did an MRI, and they found nothing. Another two months, two months went by, and they did another MRI. And you guys might remember this one. It was only a couple months ago, and they found a shadow, and they were worried for a little while that it had come back. But they found out a few weeks later that it hadn't. And as of right now, she's 95% back to normal which is amazing. They actually, literally, they have, the doctors are saying, what are you doing? Because these other people are not doing as well as you are. And it's opening up room for these conversations to happen. And she is, she is doing so much better. They've even extended that 14 months to probably five years that she could have. And, and there's even this, and you know, the doctors can't say it, but they, you know, they can't say it for sure, but there's even this, there's a 1% of people that make it, the people that, there's a guy that's been living for this, with this for 28 years, and, and that maybe even she could be a part of that. And so as we look at this story, we see the wound very clearly, not just the physical wound of cancer that she has in her life, that she still has, that's still going on, that could come back any day, but the wound for the family, just the emotional turmoil that you go through in finding 
that out. And yet we see the light, and we see some of the light is in how well she's doing. And, and we can all agree that, oh, that's so great that she's doing so well. And yet I think there's a place where I see even more light shine through because there's two people that have come to know Jesus because of what she went through. There's two people that have come to the Lord because of what she would, that, that through conversation said, I, I see your faith, I want to know, know Jesus because of this. And one woman who's rededicated her life, who, who had walked away from the Lord many years ago, stopped going to church and, and said, Cheryl, like, you, you've brought me back to the Lord, seeing, this, seeing you go through this in your life. And that's where the light shines through. These opportunities would have never been there if she wouldn't have gotten sick. And it's hard to say that, that God caused this in her life, and yet we know that he can do wonderful things through the difficulties that we have. And what's awesome is that's the way that the family's looking at it. They don't know what's going to happen in the future. They don't know what will come of this, but they already see what God's doing, and they don't think that God is done with Cheryl yet. No, he's going to keep shining that light through the wound in her life. The wound is where the light shines through. And I just want to take a moment really quick, and I want to pray for her because she's still in the midst of this. Um, there's no way of knowing if she is cured, if she is going to be all better. Um, but I want to take a moment as a, as a church to pray for Cheryl and uh, to pray for healing as well as just that, that God would use her more and more for the advancement of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come before you, God, and give you all glory and praise. God, you are a wonderful God. You are a great God. God, and we pray for, for Cheryl. God, we already see the wonderful things that you've done in her life in the midst of such a difficult time. And yet, God, we can even see that, that maybe you put this there for the sake of your kingdom, that other people would come to know you through this, God. And so, God, we do pray for completely healing for her. God, we do pray that she would live many long years and that you would continue to use her in that. God, that you're not done with her yet, but you're going to continue to use her for your gospel. God, but no matter what, I pray that your, that your will would be done and more people would come to know you through this pain that they've experienced, through this difficulty in their life. We give you all praise and glory in your name. Amen. We're going to see a little bit more of this today. Um, as we talk about these intersections and where the wound meets the light, um, we're going to open up to Acts 16 today. And so um, this is on page, um, I can't see it back there, 925 in your pew Bible. Um, so Acts 16, we come to this place. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, um, and Luke are all traveling together on this missionary journey. And something, as you see early in, in, in chapter 16, that's so cool is that they're just walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is leading them in their direction. It says that um, the, um, the, having, been, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. God, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't go over there. You're going to go this way. So they're following the Spirit, and they end up in, and uh, sorry, I just drew a blank. Um, so they end up in Philippi. And so they end up in Philippi, and uh, we see this cool thing happen where this, this woman gets converted, and um, then we get to the, the story that I really want to tell today, and that starts in chapter 16. It says, as they were going to the place of prayer, and this is where they, they met and converted Lydia. So as they're going to this place of prayer, uh, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So there's this slave girl who is demon-possessed, and not only that, but she's demons, this, this spirit, this evil spirit is actually giving her power of divination, of fortune-telling. 
And so she can, she can actually tell people secrets about themselves through a supernatural power. We see that today, um, but usually it's through, you know, tricks and that kind of stuff. But this was actual, you know, spirit possession from an evil spirit that gave her that power to do that. And so, so um, we have this girl who's doing that, and she's also a slave, so there's some people that are making money off of her through this. Um, she's working for them, and so they get money off of her for this. And so this girl starts following them around. They're on their way to the place of prayer, and it says, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that sounds pretty great, right? Because she's telling the truth. She's bearing witness to these men that they are servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And you kind of got to think any publicity is good publicity, right? So this, is, this has got to be good for him, right? But Paul, Paul doesn't really think so, as we'll see in this next part. Um, so it says, and, and I'm reading this straight from the Bible, okay? This is from the Bible. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. So they're walking by, and day after day, this woman's doing this. And you can probably kind of get the idea that, yeah, she's telling the truth, but you don't want that kind of person being an advocate for you. You know, like, oh, I heard from the demon-possessed slave girl that you know the way to salvation. Like, that doesn't usually work out well. And so, so Paul's, Paul's not very happy, and so he, he becomes greatly annoyed. So what do you do when you get greatly annoyed? Use the power of the Holy Spirit to drive out the demon, right? And I, it's just so great that, um, you know, and not, I don't mean it irreverently at all, but just that idea, he gets really annoyed, and so he casts the demon out to deal with the situation. Um, but we see the power of the Holy Spirit in that, and, and the team in India right now just got to experience the power of, power of the Holy Spirit driving out a demon this weekend. That's so awesome. And so they do that, which you think would be, okay, this is great. Like, yeah, they, they cast out the demon, everything's great. But there's one problem. Because there were people making money off of that girl because she was demon-possessed. And now that she's not, they're not going to make their money anymore. So they're not very happy with the situation. So they take them, and they go, and uh, they, they, they take them to the magistrates, kind of the leaders in this town. And they said, um, and, and they come up with this story. So they don't, they don't tell the full story. They, they know how to work the system. Um, and so they say, these men are Jews, they're foreigners, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they're kind of pulling that political card of like, hey, we want to be good Romans, but, you know, they're trying to teach us another way. Um, we, we even see this with Jesus and, and the Pharisees saying, you know, we respect, you know, Caesar is, is the only true king, but he says that he's king, so you've got to do something about it. And so they kind of do that similar thing. Uh, they're kind of lying to to get their own way. And so the magistrates say, okay, um, so they, they tear off their garments, they beat them, and then they send them to prison. They throw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so right here we see the wound that is going on in their life. They, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, in fact, they did something good, and for that, they get they get stripped down, beaten, and thrown into prison. And this prison, not that prison at all is a good place today, but we have certain health codes and health standards and that regulations, that kind of thing. Back then, they didn't have those. From what I understand, um, it was a pretty nasty place, prison, especially this inner prison place was pretty nasty. And not only that, they're also shackled, so they don't even get to walk around their prison cell. They're shackled. So we can see this wound that has happened in their life that they're going through right now. But about midnight, the other prisoners start to hear a noise. 
Maybe it started out slow. They started to hear a noise from, from one of the other cells, and they went, oh, yeah, we're, we're used to this. You know, they're, they're probably crying or, or yelling or cursing, or, you know, they're, they're upset about this situation that they're in. But as they listen a little bit closer, they start to hear that that's not the sound that they're hearing. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In the midst of this one, in the midst of this terrible situation that God has put them in, okay, remember, they're following, they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it leads them to prison. And yet, they're worshiping, they're singing hymns, they're praying. We saw this with Job last week. In the midst of this, such a difficult time in his life, he fell down and he worshiped. So they're worshiping, and the prisoners are listening to them. That's a very important part there. And it says, in the midst of this worshiping, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So we have this supernatural earthquake happen. It's not just that this earthquake happened by chance, you know, all the doors opened and the shackles fell off. Clearly, a supernatural event has taken place. God has freed all the prisoners. And so this, this event happens, and it wakes the jailer up. And he saw that the prison doors were open, and he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He knew that, that his life was, was forfeit because of this happening, and so he was going to take it on his own terms rather than to, to deal with the humiliation and, and torture of a trial and, and crucifixion or you know, being killed. And so <clears throat> he was just going to kill himself. But the prisoners are still there. Paul calls out and says, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now that brings up a really good question. Why are they still there? And I think there's a couple sides of it that we have to look at. Number one is, if you were in Paul's place, okay, and this has happened to you, very clearly God has led you to this place, and you were praying and singing hymns, and in the midst of praying and singing hymns, all of the prison doors open, wouldn't you kind of think like God saying, you're free, get out of here? And so you think, you know, you'd think that's kind of what they were thought, but remember, they're, they're listening to the Holy Spirit. They're following his leading. And maybe there was that, wait, don't leave. I've got another plan. And so they wait. But then you also have to ask yourself, why didn't all the other prisoners run out the minute the doors opened? Well, they were listening to what was going on, to these, these hymns that they were singing. And I think it caught their attention because they're, they're listening going, What's going on? What are these guys singing? And then this supernatural event happens. They want to stick around to see what's going to happen. And maybe the Holy Spirit was involved in that as well. Maybe Paul was able to keep them there. Um, You know, we don't know all the details, but they were all still there. And so Paul tells the jailer that. The jailer um, gets the lights and he, he rushes in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it's amazing that this situation would invoke that question to this man. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And maybe he had heard the the demon-possessed girl before proclaiming this about them. Maybe he had seen them, or maybe he knew something about that. Maybe he heard them singing hymns and, and praying before he drifted off to sleep. But either way, he knew that these were men of God, and he knew that they knew the way to salvation. And so he asks them what to do to be saved. In Acts 16.31, Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. They tell him about Jesus, and they, they took him the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Oh, sorry, the, the jailer takes them and washes their physical wounds, and then he goes and he washes their, their spiritual wounds through baptism. We see this really cool picture happening. 
Um, the, the jailer washes their wounds, and then, the, and then he's baptized, and his spiritual wounds are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see this really awesome picture that happens there. And, uh, and, then, and then he brought them up to their house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so I want to stop right here that the story's not over yet, but to stop and to look at where the light is shining through in this situation. Um, the light shines through their, their praise in the midst of that difficult time. Because they were praising God in the midst of such a difficult time in their life, the light shined through and this jailer was saved. And even as you look at it, did, did God bring them into that jail so that he could be saved? They were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were listening to him and they were praising God knowing that God had a bigger plan for them. This wasn't just chance. They weren't feeling sorry for themselves. Instead, they praised God. And look what he did through it. He brought this jailer to know him. And we see that in that story that I told earlier of, of, of Jen and her mom and, and that family. Then in the midst of praising God, people saw there's something different going on here. How, how can you do that? And that's an opportunity. That's an intersection right there to say, it's because I've got Jesus. And right there, people see authenticity of the gospel. It's not you trying to shove the Bible down their throats. It's not, it's not you with some hidden agenda. It's authentic. This is what I really believe. Because how else would I be able to feel this way if it wasn't for Jesus, if he wasn't real in my life? That through that praise in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the wound, praising God lets that light shine through. So we see that first part there of the light, that praising God in the midst of, of this wound, of this difficult situation. But then there's something else that we're going to find out the next morning. The next morning, they wake up, and the magistrates send the police down to let them out of prison. Just kind of this, um, okay, you know, one night in jail was enough. Let them out. Um, they can go on their way. Just make them leave the city. But Paul says, oh, no, that's not going to happen. He says here in... Uh, in verse 37, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. So we find out this new information, um, or at least it was new to the people there, to the police and the magistrates, that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And Roman citizens have certain rights. One of those rights is to not be um, cruelly punished, like being beaten. Another right was to a fair trial before you got thrown into prison, at least being able to defend yourself before you got thrown into prison. Neither of which, or they, they weren't able to do that. So we see both of these things that happen that shouldn't have happened to Roman citizens. And so Paul's saying, oh, they can't just, you know, hush us away quietly. They need to come down here and get us themselves and to apologize for us. Now, don't think that Paul's just like really hurt by this and he needs to be apologized to. Remember, his frame of mind, he knows that God was a part of this. But he's setting something up. He's using this to the advantage of the church later on. That, that if, if they do this and, and the magistrates realize and the people find out about this, they're going to be much less quick to be throwing people, Christians into prison because of what just happened today. Because they were wrongfully treated. They're going to be careful not to do that again. And, and and later on, we see the, the church in Philippi that's there, the Philippians. Um, we see other Christians there um, that he, that doing this sets this up for them. And so, um, so they come and they, they, they apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. 
And so we see kind of this, this whole this story as a whole that, that Paul was able to use that right that he had for the sake of the gospel. But it actually brings us back to the beginning of it because there's kind of this question of, well, why didn't he speak up earlier? Yesterday, when he was being beaten and thrown into prison, why didn't he say, hey, wait, I'm a Roman citizen? Because if he would have said that, they would have stopped right there. They would have tried to figure out if they could verify that, and then nothing would have happened. I, the, whole, the whole thing would have fallen apart if they were Roman citizens because the accusation wasn't even, didn't ha- there was no foundation in the accusation in the first place. So he could have stopped all of this. He wouldn't have had to been beaten, been thrown into prison. Nothing would, that would have happened if he just would have said, I'm a Roman citizen. But he knew that God was doing something bigger. And maybe the Holy Spirit told him, wait, don't say anything. Paul laid down his, his rights for the sake of the gospel. And when he took them up again, it was only for the sake of the gospel. And that's the other part of the light that I want to shine through this morning. Um, there's a phrase, if you, you want to put the next one up there, Caleb. Um, Lift up your praise and lay down your rights. As we see Paul doing, he laid down his right as a Roman citizen for the sake of the gospel. A right that he had that he could have exercised that would have, it would have let him not go through a lot of pain if he would have done that. And yet he did that for the sake of the gospel. In this world we live in today, we're all about our rights. Um, I would say Americans, but I think it's a human thing in general. We're all about these rights that we have. We want to defend our rights. And something I've seen recently, the last several months, is a lot of the issues that we deal with are, are kind of founded in this one person's rights or over another. You look at one, a very easy one to look at is abortion. Um, it, does the, the baby have the right to live, or does the mom have the right to, to do what she wants with her own body? And, and there's a lot deeper, and there's a lot more you could talk about that, but on a simple sense, there's kind of this one person's rights over another. As you look a lot of different um, things, it's that same thing of one person asserting their rights over another person. Even we as Christians, we're big on our rights, right? We want to defend our right for free religion, for free speech. We want to defend our right to bear arms, right? That's a big Christian one. Um, <laughs> and I say that because it was in my life, okay, of the, um, of, of the people advocating for the right to bear arms, I was the foremost, okay? I was that gun-toting American that had a concealed carry permit, member of the NRA, Everything's great, right? Remember that, uh, hey, you better wait till I finish, okay? <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved that quote, um, they can take my guns when they pry them from my cold, dead hands. You ever hear that? Right? It's just a really manly thing to say, so it, may, it makes you feel manly. And I loved that quote until the day I realized that Jesus didn't say it. It's like, oh, wait, did Jesus say Oh, no, he didn't say that. That was Charlton Heston. No, that wasn't Jesus. Um... <laughs> But you see, it was that day that I realized, am I really ready to die for my right to carry a gun? That's stupid. I'm sorry. What should I be ready to die for? I should be ready to die for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel in Jesus Christ. My hope isn't in that. My hope is in the gospel. My hope is in Jesus. And so in the end, I'm willing to lay down that right if it's going to advance the gospel. Because that's not what my life is about. There's a lot of other rights that we get stuck on. I've actually, have you seen that? People get so absorbed with defending their right for something that they, they forget all about what life is really about. Even my right to free religion, I'm not going to fight for that. I will fight 
for Jesus, I will fight for the gospel, but not for my right to exercise it, because I'm going to exercise it anyway, either way, right? Whether I have the right to be a Christian or not, I'm still going to be a follower of Christ. And the day may come very well in my life when I go to jail, because I'm a Christian. Glory be to God, because that's where the light shines through. There's other rights that we try to assert ourselves, that we use to assert ourselves over other people. And, and sometimes it's difficult to know when to do it. There was one recently about bathroom usage. Um, you know, who do, do these people have a right to use whatever bathroom they want? And don't get me wrong, I understand. I have a wife. I'm going to have a daughter in January. I get the, the safety issue. I get all of that stuff. And yet I can tell you, I'm pretty sure there has been exactly zero transgender people who have come to know Jesus because they were not allowed in the bathroom that they chose. And like I said, I get it, and yet, what is, our, what is our motive? What is our agenda? Is our agenda reaching people for Christ or keeping ourselves safe? Because I don't remember Jesus saying, go out and make disciples of all nations, but keep yourself safe. Put a helmet on, you know? Jesus does ask the Father to keep us to himself. He asks the Father to keep us from the evil one. The Father's job is to keep us safe, and yet we go out into dangerous places, into whatever, to preach the gospel, because that's what God would have us do. Our agenda shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be about some rights that we're trying to protect to keep ourselves safe and happy living in a great country. Our agenda should be Jesus. In the end, we don't have any rights. I don't even hold my own life in my hand. There's only one right that I have, the right to the kingdom of God, the right to be called a child of God. And that was not one that I earned, <clears throat> not one that I gave to myself. It was a right that was given to me freely by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the one right that they can't take away from me. They can take everything away from me. Even my own life in a fraction of a second can be taken from me. But not my right to the kingdom of God. To be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. They can't take that away from me. So that's where my hope is going to be. That's where my foundation is going to be. That's what I'm going to, that's my agenda. That's, that's where I'm going to look for in my life is to bring other people into that. I don't have to protect that right. I don't even have to fight for that right because they can't take it away from me. But I will fight to give other people that right. I will fight, show other people the kingdom of God that they may know Jesus Christ is their savior. And I say all of that and I hope it wasn't too much of a rant. Just simply to say that giving up our rights is a wound. It's not something we like to do. It's not something that's fun to do, and yet that's where the light shines through. When people see us lay down our rights, that's where they see the gospel. Now, Paul took his rights up again. We do see that, but he did it for the sake of the gospel. Don't do it for your own selfishness. Don't do it for, your, for yourself. Do it for Jesus. Do it for the sake of the gospel. And we know that by walking in the Spirit, by letting the Holy Spirit lead our lives. And he shows us what to do. He shows us where to go, and he leads us in that. In the end, what I want you to get out of today is to, to lift up your praise and to lay down your rights, because that's where the light shines through. We all have these difficulties in our life. We have this pain, this suffering. Every single one of us sitting here is going to go through pain today, whether it's a little bit of physical pain or whether it's deep emotional pain. We're going to go through that, 
And yet that's where the light shines through. That's where the gospel is seen. That's where people see Jesus who gave up his right to life for us. He died so that we could have life in him. And it's through the worst wound possible in history, Jesus dying on the cross for us, that the greatest light shines through. And he shines that light through our lives and through our hurts and our struggles. The wound is where the light shines through. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have saved us, that you have given us light, life, God. And, and we thank you that you have given us a right to the kingdom of God, that we can be your children. And God, I pray that you would use us for your glory. God, that you would use us to shine the light through in other people's lives. God, please work in us, work through us, and bring other people to know you through everything that happens in our life. God, that we would praise you through everything. And God, as we, as we give our praise to you in tithes and offerings now, Lord, I pray that you would use that as well. God, for your kingdom, that you would use what we would give freely to you to bring more people into this family. God, to bring more people into your kingdom that more people would hear your name and would hear what you've done for us. In your name, amen.